400 billion a year is spent in filing fees. And then when you think about what AI can deliver, and we're just really at the very, very beginning. 2016, we doubled in size, and then in 2017, we doubled in size again. The reason that they succeeded was because they were persistent and they were able to make that pivot. So the United States Patent Corpus is 32 billion concepts. You're listening to the Outsell Podcast, where we cover the hottest trends and topics in the data, information, and analytics economy. I'm your host, Ben Sampson, and thanks for joining me as I interview founders, analysts, product leaders, and more to service the insights you should be thinking of. everybody. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Outsell Podcast. Today, I am sharing a recording that was taken at the beginning of February at Outsell's Data Money Conference 2019 in New York City. I was on stage with three other founders and product managers talking about artificial intelligence and how they are using and applying it in their everyday business practices. And so really fun conversation given that three years earlier we were on stage talking about AI and what it was going to look like and how companies were going to be using it. And so really good time talking about how it's actually being used. It's real world, it's tangible, it's being used, and it was just exciting to see what these three individuals on stage with me had to share. So hope you enjoy this conversation that I had on stage again at Outsells Data Money 2019 in New York. Enjoy. So we heard from Dan earlier about uh, artificial intelligence, and I suspect there were one or two people in this room who were thinking, well, it's all very well for you. You work in the Relix group. Um, just out of curiosity, apart from the people here who also work for Relix, how many people work for organizations which have got 8,000 technologists and spend $1.4 billion on technology each year? Okay, so you're probably quite a lot of you thinking, well, that's fine, Dan, lovely presentation, doing great stuff, but what the hell can we do? Um, and I suppose, uh, all, again, this, this session might be mis, mistitled too, because it really should be called, so what the hell can the rest of us do? Because um, we're going to bring on stage now a group of people to talk about how they are bringing AI into their products uh, and solutions. Um, we all know and we've heard the power of these solutions, but actually working out what you can and can't do, what you should build, what you should license, what you should outsource is really tricky. So we have with us today Jason Cohen, founder and CEO of Analytical Flavor Systems, Luis Faust, the co-founder and CEO of Vilex, Vipul Nakum, the chief product officer at OAG Aviation World Worldwide, and our panel moderator, Ben Sampson, vice president of product at Outsell. Thanks, Simon. So thankfully, Dan did a really good job, because gentlemen, we are the only thing that stands between this group and a very nice lunch outside. So we can move quickly, and we don't have to explain AI. So I think what we really want to get out of this session today is the why and the how for people. You know, in the past, we look back three years, it's funny to reflect, we talked about AI and how it's coming and what it's going to look like, and today we can talk about how it's actually being used. It's real, it's applied, and we're getting value out of it. And so I'm really excited to learn from all three of you about each of your companies and how you're applying it and how other folks in the room can either make or buy AI applications into their business. And so I think a good place for us to start is just to, for you three to each share a little bit about each of your companies to start 
and maybe how you're applying AI currently today. And we'll start there. Vipul, if you can kick us off. Sure. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me on the panel. Uh, so OAG uh, has gone through the entire life cycle from being a publisher to a data business and really thinking about uh, how customers can use AI and machine learning in particular. In 1929, February in fact, so 90 years ago this month, we published the first flight schedule. So think of it as a timetable of all the flights around the world. Since then, uh, we've moved into a data business, a solution business, and we have a variety of customers using our information uh, to solve real world problems. Problems such as, how do I grow my business? How do I streamline my operations? And how do I use data to delight my customers, i.e. the passengers? So it's addressing those three pillars. Uh, our customers across the board are from travel distribution, travel tech, airlines, airports, and so on. And we are offering today solutions across the, the, the value pyramid, the outsole pyramid mm -hmm. that uh, has been referenced before. So we offer data, workflow tools, and a natural extension of that is providing predictive insights off the back of the data that we have. And what kind of things are we doing? Is really looking at how can we use data around flight schedules and status data, weather information, event data, bring it all together and provide information around on-time performance, so predictive delay. How can I do a better job of disruption management? How can I do a better job of on-time performance of the, the, the operations side of airports and airlines? We're also doing work around predictive demand, so the use cases, which routes and networks should I develop? So which connections are viable? So that's what we focus on. Those are the type of solutions we're pursuing. Great, perfect. Jason, how about yourself? Yeah. So I'm founder and CEO of Analytical Flavor Systems. We have an AI platform that models human sensory perception to predict consumer preference. So our expertise is taking tiny amounts of data, frequently just three to five observations around what a professional taster perceives in a product, and using that to model and predict what any other consumer demographic or consumer cohort around the world is going to taste, and from that, how much they're going to like it. So for the most part, we help large multinational CPG companies develop new products, optimize existing brands, and enter new markets. And so for, for us, uh, we started building the AI platform at the same time that we started collecting these, the, this type of data set. Uh, and so that took, uh, started as research at Penn State University in 2009, uh, became a company in uh, June 2013, and then we weren't able to go on market until October 2016. Um, and so our expertise is really on small data sets. How do you take a non-representative sampling of a population or from a different population and translate that perception into something that you can use to model an entire uh, population or consumer cohort. Mm -hmm. My name is Luis. Uh, I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of Bilex. Bilex is a global legal research platform uh, born in Barcelona, Spain. Uh, and we operate all kind of uh, legal information, legal analytics, uh, and software products uh, in a number of countries. Um, in reality, applying AI to, to the legal vertical is, uh, it was not a decision because everybody is doing or pretending that is doing something. Uh, <laughs> what uh, probably is different is that uh, we are trying to um, uh, put AI at the center of, of, uh, of the company, at the center of the product development strategy. 
So it's not just uh, enriching our data with AI and other advanced algorithms, that it's something that, that we do and, and it allows us to compete in a number of countries with low investment and a small number of, of employees. But at the same time, um, we try to help our customers, who are law, law firms and other big organizations, to apply AI uh, on their daily workflows. So it's not just reusing our data, but it's also connecting our data with the internal data, uh, creating value in, in daily uh, decisions and daily workflows. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this panel is that I oftentimes think about the decision-making process that comes into selecting and moving forward with AI. You two are both founders you probably came into it with that decision, like we are going to build an AI-based company and we're gonna launch this and succeed. Um, but Vipple, on the other hand, is came from a product mindset, a company that's been around for a significant amount of time. And so I would like to just understand a little bit about that decision-making process and making that leap to the, make the investment, both from a founder standpoint. Uh, Jason, you brought up how this started as a research project, it sounds yes. like. That's oftentimes what we see with AI in startups and also with blockchain. And so I would really like to understand a little bit from the three of you that decision-making process, why the decision was made, and, and maybe even from you, Vipul, how you were able to um, ensure to the executive team or the management team that this was the right investment to make. Sure, I'll go first. Um, so first and foremost, um, the way we approached it was, it's not a technology play, it's not a data play, it is a, what is the customer problem? Mm -hmm. So at the heart of pursuing this initiative was identify the problem, understand the use case, and workflow, workflow, workflow. So. We, are, what I run essentially, is very much a commercial product management outfit. So what I have in my team is an expectation. How many customers have you spoken with this month? How many use cases have you reinforced this month? Uh, what have you uncovered that are outliers today but could be part of our emerging product roadmap? That's what I look for. So the way we pursued this path was the understanding the problem and what's the next thing that OAG could do beyond what we deliver today to answer those questions and give them a head start in organizing, for example, border control resources, airport ground handling, uh, uh, turnaround times for cleaning uh, equipment around aircraft as well. So all these things came into it and that helped us to prioritize this is the doing new things as opposed to purely doing things differently. And that's the extension that, mm -hmm. that helped us pursue that. And that became a, a, essentially an extension of our addressable market to say we, we can now expand our addressable market, we have new places to play, and also create value for customers and our investors. Were there any concerns along the way? Dan brought up the concern around, you know, he can't with GDPR explain why or how with the data, for example. Um, was there any kind of that concern from the executive team or anything that you trouble or roadblocks that you ran into along the way? So I think this is important to note. Um, if you look at the layers of the pyramid and you go in the other top, you've got predictive analytics and then you've got prescriptive analytics. Mm -hmm. We don't pursue prescriptive analytics. So we're not saying this is what you need to do. We're, we're going up to the point of here's what we see, here's what are the options based on what we are recognizing. It's still up to the airport 
operation, head of operations or ground handling to make those judgments, but we're giving them the right level of signals. So the question for us is still the same, and it's all, that's always been around. Is this timetable accurate? Is the predictiveness, what's the methodology behind it? And, and of course, there's a, there's a machine that's self-learning, but these are the signals, and we pro provide probabilities of those predictive uh, indicators. Mm -hmm. So we give a probability score against it. Okay. Jason, how about for yourself? Just yeah. the decision-making process. So, so I actually, I agree with Vipal. So when we started, uh, it was research, and we were looking at if we could predict what different demographics and different people were going to taste in products and what they were going to like and dislike from that. Um, and so my research started in sensory science, which is science of taste, which turned out not to be a predictive science. In order to actually get any information uh, about what those individual groups would taste, you had to go out and give them the products. And then you had all this problems around sampling and sampling statistics. So what we wanted to do was actually be able to make those types of predictions. And so we thought of AI as a tool set. And so AI is not going to solve every problem, right? Um, it's like saying like, the internet would solve every problem, <laughs> right? Um, which at, at one point everyone was saying, and now that, that that's matured, and we know that the internet is good for some things. So for us, uh, we, we approached it the same way. We thought of it as a product problem, right? What, what could we do with this? How could we solve this? And so when we found that we were actually able to predict what different demographics tasted and what different demographics liked, uh, that then it was pretty clear that it didn't belong in academia any, anymore, and we decided to turn it into a company. Got it. Yeah. Um, I would say for us, it's, it's part of uh, our strategy. So when, when we created a company, it was almost 20 years ago, um, we, we saw, we understood that uh, raw legal data is commoditizing. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are competing in a market with a very uh, well-established players. So we see technology and AI in particular as a way of uh, creating a lot of value in a very efficient way uh, and, and adding a, a value that actually is competing against uh, all kind of commodated free services or government services or, or whatever. So uh, for us, I mean, it's, it's a strategy. We see ourselves as a company, uh, a technology company doing legal information or legal content or whatever, instead of a publisher using technology as a, an additional tool. Can the three of you uh, shed some light on the execution, the timeline, the team that it took, the resources that it took to make it successful, to get it to market? Can you help us understand what that looks like? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, for us, all, all of this strategy um, is created by um, one of uh, our co-founders, the other co-founder. So what, what we did actually was, be, um, I mean, during all this process, we are, we are um, harvesting data from thousands of sources, from 100 countries, processing all kind of uh, formats, uh, adding citations, automatic summarization. I mean, it's, it's a very uh, complicated um, system at a massive scale. So we've built a, a, a platform for all this uh, internal uh, content pipeline and enrichment. Uh, and then we, we, this actually, we productize it as a, as a product and it's sold to, to, to third parties as a software as a service. 
So um, I would say for us, it's, 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 it, it's become even a, a, a product in itself, the, the AI legal uh, system. Based on that, we have built different products and, and, and uh, et cetera. But this is, uh, I mean, it's a, a main part of our, of our strategy. Uh, and it's not just a product, it's not just a feature, or a data enrichment process is a product in itself. Mm -hmm. Are there key team members that you had? You talked about the co-founder building yeah. the majority of the technology, but were there other, you know, David DeWolf was up here talking about, you know, not throwing developers or engineers or data scientists at a problem, but throwing, you know, looking for good proc managers. Were there key resources that you had in doing that? Yeah, we have uh, developers, we have uh, data scientists as well. Uh, and then uh, the experts in the domain. So I think one of the, of the what is really uh, a challenge, at least is we, we see, it's not just technology, it's, it's you have data and knowledge silos. Uh, you have the PhDs and then you have the, the, the engineers, and, uh, sorry, the, the, the legal uh, editors, and, and they don't understand each other. So part of, part of the challenge is, is connecting these this, this pieces. Mm -hmm. Jason, how about yourself? Yeah, I'll, I'll preface this with my blanket advice, uh, is unsolicited advice, is don't start a company. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and I say that having, uh, with analytical flavor systems, doing very well. But it, it legitimately took us years. It was three and a half years of research. It was two years of product development before we could even make a, a first sale. And part of that's because we're selling an, an enterprise innovation platform to global CPG companies, right? There is no minimum viable product. The minimum viable product is a working product. Mm -hmm. if, if our predictions are wrong, then they're not using us anymore. Um, and so, you know, we started, uh, most, most successful tech startups start with maybe two people in a, in a garage or in a dorm room or something. We started with seven people um, because we started with five teams. So we had data science, engineering, R&D, which is, uh, in our case, is food chemistry, a mix of food chemistry and food science. Uh, and now we have added to that uh, accounts and operations because we had to have a team that was going out and actually collecting the data. And we were doing, we were working globally from, from the very beginning. Um, so uh, that added a lot of complication to it. And you don't see a lot of companies start um, with that size team and maintain that size team over time. Um, so we, I think that some of the important things are, one, a lot of people try to throw data scientists in with engineers. Um, and for us, they operate as entirely different teams. They have different release cycles. They have different priorities. They have different methods of working. Um, we also needed our domain experts. So we have an R&D team. When we go into a global CPG company, if we start talking about AI functions and loss functions and different machine learning algorithms, they're not going to understand us. And it's not because that they're not incredibly intelligent people, right? They, have, they might have PhDs in microbiology or food chemistry or food science. Uh, it's because they're not, right, there's not enough overlap between those domains. So we actually have our own team of individuals who are either food chemists uh, or, or chemists or food scientists um, who have a deep understanding, who gain a deep understanding of our systems over time and can help translate that and check the results and make sure that it's something that's applicable and, that and that they don't actually need to understand or know anything about AI in order to use our services. Um, so having the, the, the domain experts, the engineers, the data collectors, uh, and the data scientists all together uh, is really important. And unfortunately, I think you need all of them at the same time. It's <laughs> a lot. <clears throat> Curious, along the journey, for the three of you, surprises, blocks along the way that you didn't expect. You know, th this is this is very complicated technology. It's very difficult to tune and takes a big team. Um, can you shed any light for us on things that we should keep an eye out for? I think coming from a 
Is it commercially viable? Is there a real need for machine learning here? I think th there's a buzzword here we've got to remember. Mm -hmm. Is that buzzword really applicable? Sometimes you can just use pretty sophisticated mathematics and deliver an answer. So there's a journey into this. So don't think just like internet is going to solve everything. <laughs> machine learning is not going to solve everything. So we discovered uh, through conversations and through some really uh, machine works through, the, through our dev team and our data scientists, we uncovered you know, machine learning is not applicable in this space because the customer is not necessarily going to see as much value in terms of marginal, marginal or incremental lift from this extra piece of data. So the aha is coming back to not the engineering problem, but coming back to what problem are you trying to solve and is it really commercially viable to spend all this time doing this research and it's gonna make you money. You could just do some good mathematics, get it out in, in, in a tenth of the time and have a higher subscription level. So that's the one aha moment. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is what resonated with me, it's really a reinforcement of what Dan Olley talked about, which is having the, the squad system, which is David DeWolf talked about, is having a multidisciplinary team. That works really well for us, having the domain expertise, having product management, sometimes it's that one person, but also a data science, having the engineer to think about the architecture, how to scale. And then the final piece for us is really thinking about go-to-market. Go-to-market is about, for us, we could go with MVP, minimum viable product, and we could step it up. So we could say, well, if, if we believe that there is a platform solution, where do we go first? Maybe it's a data delivery, and is that being, being used in a valuable way by our customers, and then we could integrate more sophisticated capabilities around it. So it is a journey, so you need to prove this out, and how can you make money as you go along? And, and that's the aha moment as well. So in a way, it's nothing different to what we've been doing all along, mm -hmm. but it's being cognizant of these new sophisticated techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, again, I agree with, with Vipal. So uh, on our side, I think one of the most surprising things was uh, how important it is to give everyone a conceptual understanding that the, how the models work, right? Um, sometimes you'll run into people who want to believe that it's a magical black box and it has all the answers, uh, but, but most people don't, right? Most people want to be able to trust the system, and if they don't trust it, they're not going to use it, and if they're not going to use it, they're not going to see any value of it. So um, on, on our side, uh, all of our reporting is predictive. Right, so they're not actually looking at the algorithms, they're looking at predictive outputs around what products they should develop, what flavored profiles they should change, what products they should cut, um, or any white space that's available in the market. And so in order to actually take action on that, in order to gear up a product development team, in order to gear up a marketing campaign, uh, campaign in order to determine what release channels you're going to go through, right, that's not just the investment in using our, our system and our analytics, that's an investment on their side using internal processes, using up internal resources. And to do that, and for anyone to take that action, they have to trust it. So we've spent a, a shocking amount of time in order to develop intuitive explanations, right, that someone who doesn't have an ex any expertise in machine learning or artificial intelligence can look at our systems, can look at our work, can look at our white papers and say, okay, I can conceptually understand how and why that prediction is possible, right, and then these are the steps that I can take to validate that and that's gonna give me enough trust to, to make these decisions. Um, so that, that I think is the most surprising thing. Uh, I, I guess that at least in, in the league, um, what do we do? It's not a very complicated technology, in reality. Uh, it's some, I mean, 
Applying AI, there are open source solutions. Uh, you could use APIs from, from IBM Watson or from Google or mm -hmm. from others. I mean, there are, the tools are there. It's not complicated. In, in, at least in our domain, what, what I see that is really important is the infrastructure. Uh, in the infrastructure to try uh, 29 different algorithms and configurations in one day instead of uh, a year, uh, and combining them and combining this, uh, this output with, the, with training information from the domain experts, uh, and based on this, iterate this in, at, 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 at scale. Mm -hmm. Because if we do it at, at hundreds of millions of documents and billions of data points. So to do that at a scale, I think that's, that's the most important uh, challenge for us. And you, you surface a good point, which kind of leads into my next question, and the, the label of this session, which is to make or buy. And you know, Vipple alluded to it early on. We solved the problem, and we used machine learning to solve that problem. Um, with any kind of a problem where we're injecting technology as the solution, there's typically a make or buy decision. You know, are we using a third party? Are we gonna build this ourselves? Um, what criteria should folks be considering or ask themselves when making that decision if they're going to move to machine learning or AI? Um, how should they be thinking about that question? And yeah, can you help? I think it depends on what kind of company you are. For example, OAG is private equity backed. So we're thinking about what is the enterprise value? What is going to be additive to enterprise value for us as a business? Mm -hmm. Which would be very different to a publicly traded company or a founder or venture-backed. So the answer is different. Um, the way we focused on it was um, what do we want, where do we want the bulk of our team members and staff to focus on? What can we bring in in terms of tools and technology what could we buy in in terms of knowledge if we needed to? Um, so essentially, the, the answer, it, there is no one answer for everyone. It's really about what's going to be most additive in terms of enterprise value, and that's our lens, particularly as a private equity-backed business. Uh, so if, my, this is difficult. It's a right? tough question. It's a tough question, but I think that for companies that are product companies, for companies that do not have expertise in product development cycles, that do not have expertise in managing uh, large-scale databases or data warehouses, I think the idea that they're going to somehow hire a couple data scientists and come out with a usable solution right, is a, is a way to, to lose a lot of money and time. Um, I mean, like maybe a simple test is if you're using an outsourced hosted solution for your database management or data warehousing, right, um, or even for your software development, and you're not going to do your data science in-house. You're not mm -hmm. going to be coming up with predictive algorithms or an AI solution in-house. So you need to look at the expertise that you have. You need to look at the product development cycles uh, that you have in order to determine if you really have the expertise to build it. Because if, if you're hiring data scientists and you're saying, this is the problem that we're solving, right, you have no idea at the start whether that data is going to be predictive, whether you have enough data to build those algorithms, how long those algorithms are going to take to train, how long the inference cycles are going to be, how often you have to update those. Right, so you're, if, if you're starting with a problem saying, data science is definitely a solution, we're gonna build that, right, you don't actually know if that solution is possible to build. And just like you wouldn't go and launch your own product 
uh, without doing that type of background research, right? Is this a need? Is this solvable? Do we have a solution for this? You can't just hire data scientists and try to deploy them against the problem and think that they're going to come up with something. And particularly if your company is used to having time pressure and hard deadlines, um, science doesn't work that way. Right. Um, this isn't an engineering problem where you can cut corners and say, it's okay, we won't deal with these edge cases or we'll, we'll release something minimal uh, at the start. Right. Either you're going to wind up with a working algorithm that has predictive power or you're not. Yeah, I think if, if that's essential for, for you and for your strategy, you should build it or at least uh, experiment with and try to have an uh, internal AI strategy. Uh, or eventually partner with anyone, a third party, but with the right incentives, so it's not just a provider. Uh, if not, I mean, uh, if it's not essential, it's just one more thing to uh, improve a small part of, of a product, you, you could yep. just use a provider for sure. Yep. And most, most companies should do just that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're gonna solve the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, just to add on that, I think it's, a, it's understanding for your own business, is it holistically and encompassing as to what defines your business? Or is it a enabler for a specific feature inside your business? And I think that helps you make your decision. What do you buy in? What do you license in? And how much do you want to own yourself? So I need to be mindful of time because I will have this conversation for hours on end. If there's a bottle of wine involved, it would go six plus hours. <laughs> um, but I want to make sure we have time for questions from the audience while we have the three of you up here. And thank you so much already for your good thoughts. You spoke a little bit about in-house versus out-of-house you know, capabilities. What are you seeing in terms of outsourcing data science? There's a lot of engineering development, but are you seeing that as a hole in the market? Is it existing? Have you had to turn to it? Talk to us a little bit about the data science component. Uh, so we actually brought in data scientists. Uh, that was a case of making sure we, in the early stages, have an understanding and have close working relationships. We didn't want to have contractual arm's length relationships because it was a space that was new to us. Um, and because of where we are in terms of our product roadmap and the capabilities we want to build in, we brought those skills in. However, we did license tools. So we didn't bring build tools ourselves from the ground up. There are many tools that Luis you know, is alluding to. So uh, for that was our strategy. Um, for us, uh, we did all of our own machine learning and data science uh, to construct the AI internally. Um, but that's because we were doing something that was very weird, right? We work on a type of data that, that no one else has, it's human sensory perception. Uh, but I would say that if you were doing something that, that you know is possible or knows uh, that other companies have done, um, then you can very easily hire in-house data scientists in order to orchestrate uh, a vendor model, right? Um, Google App Engine has AI tools, Amazon has AI tools, uh, and those tools are very well developed and well supported. Well, I mean, we, we, we hired and, and trained people internally, but I think probably the, the, most, uh, uh, the most complicated thing is, is, is I mean, it's, it's retaining this talent. If they really do cool things, they are hired by Google. So <laughs> that's, uh, and others. So that's, that's the thing. So you, you have to incentivize them uh, correctly. Thank you all for uh, sharing the incredible journeys you've been on and the progressions you've made. You're clearly 
innovating. Earlier, I mentioned to you, all of you modern modalities, voice, visualization, video, new delivery vehicles uh, to consume data. I'm just curious from each of you, are you seeing that? Is that around the corner? Is it a year away? Are you, are you feeling that need today from your users, these new modern modalities of delivering content? So I'll take that one first. We're not seeing that today in our field and the industry, um, but some of our customers are. So for example, some of our customers in the travel, uh, air travel ecosystem, such as online travel agents, they want to deliver more visual information about your seat on an air aircraft. Does it have um, in-screen entertainment, power, recline, seat pitch, et cetera? So there's a lot more visualization there. Um, so some of our data, which is very much uh, alphanumeric, if you will, goes into it. But then we have other sources that brings visualization as well. So we, we have partnerships around that. So we're able to deliver that not so much relevant for machine learning for how we deliver, but certainly it's part of what our customers do. The pitch of your seat's really important. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I love that question, but I'm actually going to answer a slightly different question. In, in, in my world, I'm actually most interested in computational creativity and not in the, the input or output of that, um, but actually being able to use an AI platform to create something that's new and that's not just data. So one of my favorite examples of this that I've now seen is uh, AI for music. It used to be that if you were a studio artist, right, it, uh, sorry, a, a musician, and you wanted to produce an album, uh, it was very expensive. You had to go into a studio. You had to hire studio artists. You had no idea how good those studio artists were going to be or what it was going to sound like before you did it. Right? It was difficult to change things as it was going. And so this startup came out with an AI for music that allows you, if you're, say, a vocalist or if you're a guitarist, to upload just your track and then to design all of the other tracks around it. So you can, you can add drums, you can add voice, you can add uh, bass line, right? Any of those types of, of things. And so that's really powerful because now uh, if an independent artist can come out with something that actually sounds like what they want it to sound like, right, um, just by themselves. So in, in our world, we think of, uh, of doing that with, with food and beverage, right? How do we create food and beverage products? How do we create flavors and combinations of flavors that have never existed before? And I, and I would call that a new modality. Yeah, I mean, audio video, it's here already. So the thing is, if, if you, you want to use it or not to create things that provide value to your users. We have one product that is called Vincent that uh, gives you a list of results based on, on a document you upload. And we are experimenting with the same technology uh, with photos and, and audio. So it's contextual search instead of, of uh, search query, let's say. Thank you, all three of you. Huge. Thank you. for listening to this episode of the Outsell Podcast. For more information on Outsell, visit us at our website, outsellinc.com, or find us on social. You can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. We love hearing from you. And so if you'd like to send us any notes, feel free to reach us out on any of those channels or even just drop by the office or send us a letter. Do it the old-fashioned way. 
we have many more of these episodes coming out soon, so stay tuned. We're covering more companies, discussing new topics, discussing product, AI, machine learning, blockchain. It's going to keep coming down the pipe, so stay tuned. Also, if you have topics or companies or anything that you'd like us to cover on the show, please reach out. We love hearing from our listeners, so please just even come over and say hello on any of the social channels or at our website again at outsellinc.com. My name is Ben Sampson. This is the Outsell Podcast. Thanks for listening. 